Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Everybody say that with me. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But did you know freedom has some responsibilities? I want to talk today a little bit about responsibilities or requirements of citizenship. If you consider yourself a citizen of the United States of America, as I do, there's some responsibilities that come with that. So I want to talk about that a little bit. When I was a young man, I enlisted in the United States Army. I got on a bus early in the morning in Auburn. They took me down to an induction center in Indianapolis. I stood there with a hundred or so other young men, raised my hand, and I took an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. Along with all those other men, not a one of us in that room knew what the Constitution of the United States of America said. (laughs) But we swore to uphold it. In other words, we each had an ideal in our mind what it meant to uphold the Constitution of the United States. And maybe it was a different opinion because we didn't know what it said. It's important that we know what it says. For example, did you know that the Constitution of the United States clearly says any power not given to the federal government clearly to an individual or an office or a group, if that power hasn't been clearly given to them in the Constitution, it falls back to the states. Did you know that? So the Supreme Court recently took that concept of the Constitution, which everybody should know, and they made a decision on Roe versus Wade as it pertains to abortion. And they did not make a decision that abortion should be legal. They made a decision that the federal government should not be making that mandate to all the states and it should go back to the states. That's what they decided. Some people, including some Supreme Court justices, don't know what the Constitution actually says. We ought to know that. We We have a responsibility to know what it says. So if I'm a citizen of the United States, I have some responsibilities as a citizen. I'm going to give you just a couple of them. I have a responsibility to care for the economy. If the economy collapses for me, it collapses for everybody. So we need to work together on the economy. If debt steals my freedom, in other words, if I'm up to my eyeballs in debt, and then I want to do something for the Lord, but I can't afford it because I have all this, these debt payments I have to make. I've lost my freedom. Right. You see this? Right. Same, same thing's true with the nation. If the national debt is so high that we really want to do something good for the citizens of the United States, but we can't afford it because we have all these debt payments because of all the money we borrowed from these other countries that don't like us. Here's the second thing. We, we should care for the environment. That's an issue. Some people in the United States, it's the issue. For others, let's just forget about it. But what would happen if we all just decided to throw all our trash out the car window? We would be like third world countries where all the sewer systems are plugged up with plastic bags. Yep. I've been to some of those countries. I've seen what it looks like when you pull into a park and there's plastic bags 
everywhere. I've been there. I've seen that. I don't want to live in a country like that. So I assume responsibility to not pass my problems off to somebody else. I need to clean up my own backyard. You need to clean up your own yard. Quit expecting somebody else to step in and take care of your problems. Somebody say amen. amen. Thirdly, we need to care for the poor. If we're citizens of the United States, there's some people that cannot work. They're disabled. Or for some other reason, they cannot take care of themselves. Our country has always taken care of the poor. Jesus said, the poor will always be with you. Yes. You're always going to have people like that. Right. Somebody needs to reach out and take care of the poor. I'm glad that in America we do that. Although I sure wish that the responsibility fell on the churches where we know the individual needs than on the government where one size fits all. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, here's where, I'm, here's where I'm getting at. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, but our citizenship, talking about Christians, you and I, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are dual citizens. We're citizens of the United States of America where we have responsibilities here. We are also citizens of the kingdom of God. And we have responsibilities as citizens of the kingdom of God, which I'm going to get to here in a minute. Here's another verse similar to it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Did you know that you are a member of the household of the kingdom of God? You belong. You fit here. You belong. I watch people when they, when they come into our church for the first time. And they don't know what we're like. They don't know what to expect. And they come in and they sit there. And the first thing they do is look around at the people. What, what are they looking for? Is there anybody like me here? Is there anybody here like me? Does anybody here work a job like I do? Anybody here going through the problems like I have? Anyone have some baggage in their past like I do? Is there anybody here the same race of me? Anybody here speaks my same native language? Is there anybody here like me? And the answer is, yes, there is. And if there isn't, welcome aboard. We're glad you joined us because you make us more diverse and that's healthier for the body of Christ. Excuse me, I lost my notes. Come on. Okay. So we need to have a care for the church's economy. You know, the Bible tells us very clearly how the church should be financed. It's in tithes and offerings of God's people. We're, we're not to have gimmicks. We're not to have fun things to raise money, although I love fun things that raise money for the kingdom of God. One of the best memories I have, one of the most fun times I've had in a church is several years ago we had a fundraising opportunity. It was a Sunday night, and we had, we had the fellowship hall packed with people, and we were raising money for Destiny Rescue, to help women get out of, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, 
Human trafficking, yeah, prostitution was the word I'm looking for. Um, and we had a bake sale. Now, I'll tell you, bake sales, churches do bake sales all the time. They don't make a whole lot of money. Somebody puts a lot of work and effort into baking a pie, and the thing sells for five bucks, and everybody's excited. The church is it's not a big moneymaker. But I remember we had, we had that event, and somebody fixed a cherry pie. <laughs> now, I love cherry pie. I saved my money. I knew this is a good cause. I'm buying that cherry pie. <laughs> we had two men weren't in our church. They were here for vacation or something. And both of them apparently had money. <laughs> Pastor Todd, do you remember how much that first cherry pie went for? $225. $225. <laughs> A little bit later, another cherry pie comes up. I thought, this is, this is my deal. I'm, I'm buying that cherry pie. Do you remember how much the second pie went for? No, I don't remember that one. It was almost the same amount. <laughs> I think it was a little more, actually. A little more? <laughs> Thankfully, there was a third cherry pie. <laughs> and I got it. I don't remember what it cost me, but it was a pretty penny, let me tell you. <laughs> and I had a great time, and I didn't shed one tear for losing some money, because I invested it in the kingdom of God. But the method that the Bible tells us we should use to finance the church is tithes and offerings of God's people. A tithe is, means tenth, it's one-tenth. Did you know that in early America, taxes were called tithes? They mandated people, whether you were a believer or not, they mandated you to pay tithes, certain percentage. We would call it taxes. And one of the responsibilities it did is it went to the poor and to finance the church. So we need you, you and I, if we're citizens... We need to finance the kingdom of God. Here's the second thing. We need to care for the church's environment. What do we say to the non-Christian world that pass by on the highway when, we look, when they look at our church? What do they think? What's people's perception? You know, that's why back in Europe they would build these tall cathedrals. I mean, reaching to the sky really high elaborate, expensive things when they didn't have mechanical equipment like they do today. People had to get up on scaffolds way up there to put that together. Why did they do that? Why did they spend millions of dollars on those buildings? Because they wanted to say to a lost world, we are the people of God and this is where we meet. I'm so thankful that you are givers because we've just completed almost completed an upgrade in our facility. Doesn't it look great in here? If you're real careful, it even smells a little bit like new carpet. <laughs> because when people come in for the first time, we want them to feel like this is a place that cares. You see, the problem is we raise our kids 
in a public school system where everything is brand new. They pour millions of dollars in brand new, elaborate school facilities, and then we expect them to go to church in a 150-year-old, run-down building, smells like mold. Those young kids are not going to go to a building like that. So I'm thankful for you to help us keep this building looking nice so we can do what God's called us to do. And then we need to care for the poor. When I say poor, I'm talking about the spiritually poor, people that don't know how to live their life, people who don't know what the Bible says. We need to know what the Constitution says, and we need to know what the Bible says, because this is our Constitution as Christians. This is our foundation, and it's unamendable. All right, now I just spent almost half my time on my introduction. I've got (laughs) seven practical things. Did you know the Bible is practical? It tells us how to live our lives. I've got seven things that citizens need to do. This is our responsibility. Number one, comfort one another. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. That word, you see there it says in the middle, encourage one another. The word translated encourage is the Greek word parakletos. It's the same root word for the name of the Holy Spirit when he's called the comforter. He is the comforter. He comes alongside and comforts us. So we need to comfort one another because the parakletos lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. Did you know that? You need to know that. The power of the Holy Spirit is inside of you. When you say something to other people, the Holy Spirit's speaking through you. Hebrews 3.13 says a similar thing. But encourage one another. It's the word parakletos. It's the comfort. And comfort one another daily as long as it's called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin wants to trick us into getting a hard heart. So when God wants to teach us something, we don't hear it. We don't know what it is. So we miss God. You see, life is tough. How many have learned that yet? <laughs> Some of you haven't learned it yet? Life is tough. Satan is out to destroy our faith. Yes. Right. We've got to comfort one another. Come on. We've got to encourage one another. We've yes. got to take someone by the hand and lead them on. Come on. Every one of us need to be doing that. And your life experience thus far has prepared you to help others. In other words, what you've been through is why God wants to use you to help someone else. Your trials, your difficulties, your failures, these are all the things. This tells us what we should be doing in the kingdom of God. If you've been through divorce, I'm sorry for that pain. Now you are prepared to help someone else who's going through divorce. Don't run away and hide away from them because they're bad people because they're getting divorced. Hey, you know what it's like. You've been through that pain. All right, here's the second thing. We need to serve one another. 
Bible says, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not lose your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another. You know what serve one another means? I think you do if you just think about it. It means you get involved in somebody else's life and you serve them humbly. You don't go around expecting them to serve you because you finally arrived. You're finally in the kingdom of God. You're finally this great Christian. Great Christians are serving other people who aren't there yet. In some cases, people who are there. Christianity is not for you alone. Christianity is about the body of Christ. He's placed us in this fellowship. He's placed us in this assembly together. Maybe God someday might move you on to another church. But today, you're here. Don't just be a spectator in the stands. Be a participant on the field. Serve one another. Here's number three. We need to submit to one another. Ooh, we don't like this one. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know what submit means? That means I back off and I let you make the decision. You know, this is in the context of marriage right here. Submit to one another. There's a whole lot of men that like to say to their their wives, you're supposed to submit to me. The Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. Did you know the Bible says, mister, you're supposed to submit to her? Did you know that? How do people in this difficult world with Satan's attacks all around, how do people survive and have happy marriages? How how does that happen? They learn how to submit to one another. It's not all about me being the head of the house. It's not all about me being in charge. It's about us progressing together. And that requires some submission. Submit to one another. Submitting to one another is respecting the Holy Spirit inside somebody else. Here's here's the fourth thing we need to do. It's a requirement of citizenship. Caution one another. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. With all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Admonish one another. Did you know the word admonish means warn? Warn them. Caution them. Teach and admonish. You see, we're teaching the Word of God. It's the Word of God that warns us. You know, if you keep doing these things in your life... This is what's going to happen, the Bible says. That's admonishing someone. You're not shaming them. You're not putting them down. You're trying to help them realize the right way to do things. Because in this crazy world, people don't know the right way to do things. We're not taught the right way to do things in public school. We're not taught the right way to do things on Facebook. We're not taught the right way to do things through the news media that wants you to vote for somebody. It's the Word of God that's going to teach us the truth, how to do things the right way. So admonish means to warn one another. Here's number five. Spur one another on. You know what spurs are? 
you spur your horse on. We're supposed to spur one another on. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, <clears throat> but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. You can't spur one another on if you're not with one another. I realize that some of the folks watching us from home today, you're there because of your health, you're there because you're shut in, <clears throat> or because you have some other practical reason for not being here uh, in the house. But I want to encourage you, if you don't have a valid reason, you need to spur one another on. How are you going to spur one another on if you're not in the house? Or somebody can spur you on and you can spur somebody else on. We need to spur one another on, encourage one another. The New King James says, stir up one another. The Common English Bible says, sparking one another. The, King, the Old King James says, provoke one another. You know what provoke means? Push. I remember some years ago, I was a, a student at Christian Training Center, and, and I was in my third year, which was practical ministry training, and uh, I had to sit on the platform of this large church in Fort Wayne. It was a Thursday night service. And uh, I was on the platform with the other six uh, young men that were in the training program with me because they wanted us to get a pastoral view of what happens in a church service. And uh, I remember Pastor Pano was preaching about evangelism, winning your, neighbor, your friends and neighbors to Christ. And he was preaching about that. And it was a long series, and uh, it was, uh, it was, the house was packed. Over a thousand people in there on a Thursday night. And we were listening to him teach about sharing your faith with your neighbors and coworkers. And then he did something I will never forget. At the end of his message, he asked the question, how many of you here tonight have led someone to Christ in the last six months? And a bunch of people in the crowd stood up a little bit less, I would say, than a quarter of the, of the group. Up on the platform, most of the people stood up. But I couldn't stand up. I'd been wrapping my time up in these studies, and I hadn't really shared my faith with anybody that, you know, to brought about a result. I had not led anybody to Christ in the last six months. And I had to sit there. You know how humiliating that is? I was humiliated, and I made up my mind right then and there. I was so shamed because here I am, a minister, of the, preparing to be a minister of the gospel, and I'm not ministering the gospel. I was ashamed of myself, and I made a promise to God right there sitting on that platform. If he ever asks that question again, I will stand up. And I went out the next week, and I led a co-worker to Christ. So I was ready to stand up from then on. I was provoked. That's what it is to provoke one another. I was spurred on toward love and good works. Let's go to number six. Here's the sixth thing. We need to build each other up. 
1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. So he's not saying you need to start building each other up. You're already doing that. But it's important you be reminded because every fire eventually goes out. So it needs stirred up again. It needs poked again. Some of us need poked again. We know what it is to be excited about the things of the kingdom of God, but the fire's gone out. We become careless. The coals have grown cold. We need the Holy Spirit to poke us. Amen. Stir us up. Right. Wake us up. Bring back what we once had. Building one another up is called discipleship. Jesus took 12 people out of the secular environment and he discipled them. He lived with them. They saw the real Jesus Christ. They saw him under pressure. They saw him under persecution. They saw him under all kinds of circumstances and situations. They saw how he reacted to everything. That's discipleship. You can, you can sit in front of a group of people in a classroom and teach them the truth, but discipleship is when they see you do it. Yes. Discipleship is practical training, on-the-job training. We need to take people along with us. Yes. That's discipleship. It's how you build people up when they see you model it, when they see you practice it. It's spiritual strength training. Building them up. If you want to run a race, what you have to do is build yourself up. Build up stamina. Get out there and make yourself go. Build each other up. Here's number seven. Here's the last one. Confess your sins to one another. Did you know the Bible says that? It doesn't say confess your sins to the church. Doesn't say that. A lot of churches in the past, if you were a sinner, the way you'd get forgiven is stand up in front of the whole church and tell everybody what a jerk you've been. Then nobody will respect you anymore and they'll forgive you. No, they won't. They'll know who you are. They got your number now. So we don't ask people to get up and confess their sins to everybody in the church. But sometimes we have a, a problem, a weakness, a difficulty, and we need to go to a trusted brother or sister and speak it out and take responsibility and say, you know, I'm really struggling with this area of my life. James chapter 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You want healed? How do we do it? I got to get this monkey off my back. I got to get this thing that's holding me back off my back. Then I can grow. I can be healed. The Greek word translated sins here, we're supposed to confess our sins, and some people have all kinds of weird ways of defining what sins is to take away the real truth. But the sin we're supposed to confess, it's the Greek word hamartia. It's one of several words Greek words translated sin. But this literally means to miss the mark. I aimed at this target, 
and I missed it. Missed the whole target. How many have ever done that in your life? Come on, we're supposed to confess our sins to one another. Okay, there we go. Now we got truth coming out. It's also been translated to err, make a mistake, to blow it. We need to confess that to somebody. You can confess it to your spouse. That's a great way to do it. Or you can confess it to another man in the church or another woman in the church. Confess it to somebody that you trust. Certainly there's somebody in the church that you trust. Now you don't tell everybody because some people, even Christians, you just can't trust. Because they love to spread gossip. And you don't want this word out there because you're ashamed of your deed. Of course, that's why you're confessing it. So you don't tell everybody. I have, I have a lot of minister friends. And there's some I know to not confess my sins to. I've learned the hard way. Because if I confess my sin to this person, the next thing I know, somebody else is telling me about it or talking to me about it or trying to fix me. How did they find out? I don't tell that person. But I do have friends that I can trust that will keep their mouth shut and care about me instead of care about themselves and how they can spread the word around. So confession does really two things. Number one, it gets it off my chest. It's not this uh, sin of aching in the camp kind of thing. It's not this, uh, I know I should be ashamed of myself. I know what a, what a failure I am. I can get that off my chest by going to somebody and saying, would you, would you pray for me? I got a problem with this. The second thing is it does is it makes you accountable to somebody else. When you confess it to someone else and they say they're going to pray with you, now you're now accountable to them. This is why a lot of people don't confess their faults. Because they don't want to be accountable to anybody. They want to do their own thing their own way. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Confession gets it off my back and makes me accountable to somebody else who's praying for me, encouraging me, discipling me. Requirements of citizenship. All of these come from this book. This is our constitution. If we want to be a citizen, we can't just sit back and be a spectator. We've got to jump into the game. We have to be an active participant. When I joined the Church of Jesus Christ, I enlisted myself for a life of service. When I went to the U.S. Army, it was just three years. And I, I had a short-timers calendar hanging in my locker. <laughs> because I couldn't wait to get out. I'm a little bit of a rebel, and I don't like people telling me what to do. And if you're in the Army, that's the name of the game. So I got out. As soon as I could get out, left a sergeant behind pretty mad at me because I was a bit of a rebel. But I had to learn. In the church of Jesus Christ, I could no longer be the rebel. I've got to be a participant. I've got to be loyal because I can't get out. Yeah, I can, but I, I don't want to get out. I don't want to get out of the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. And it's a life 
term. I'm coming to the end of my life term in the Lord's army. I'm about ready to get a promotion. I'd be okay if he'd wait maybe another decade. But I'm ready right now. Are you ready? Are you ready? That's the question. Are you ready? I assume the reason you're here on a Sunday morning is because you're in the army. You want to be a good citizen. You want to know what citizens are supposed to do. I just taught you seven principles and they all have to do with what we do with one another. Well, I thought being in the army you're supposed to serve God. Yeah. How do I serve God? Because I can't see God. How do I serve Him? I serve His people. When I serve His people, they become stronger. When they serve one another, the whole body becomes stronger. I want to be a part of a strong family of God. So I got to be an active citizen. And just a little bit after we sing this last song, we're going to have some prayer warriors up here. These are people who know their job is to keep their mouth shut. They don't pass on what they hear. They've been told that, trained that. They want to help you. It might just be the time when you need to make a confession. And just say, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with such and such an area. I don't want to struggle. I want you to help me with that. Now have an accountability partner who will pray with you because they care about you. But we've got to be citizens of the kingdom of God. We can't stay where we are. We're on duty. It's all hands on deck. There's a battle going on. Nobody can sit back and watch when you're in the army because if the army falls, you fall. If the church of God disintegrates, you disintegrate. Got to be on duty. Let's stand together. Let's be on duty.